Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today we are continuing our military program series with Laura Beasley, Chris Evans, and John Bussey to learn about the Corps' environmental mission. So before we get to our guests, I want to talk to you, Angie, just a little bit about like, what do we think the Corps' military environmental mission is? Because my whole career has been civil works, and when I think of environmental mission, I immediately jump to ecosystem restoration, you know, restoring a wetland or something like that. But Every time I've heard it for military programs, it's been in a different context. And I was kind of curious if you have a, a different understanding of this than I do. Well, like you, I've grown up in the civil works side of the house. So I do think of ecosystem restoration. However, I have heard terms like foos wrapped, tossed around, not quite sure what that means. And then uh, I am curious if the environmental principles apply to both civil works and military. So I'm just curious to, to learn more about this. That's a good point. I always thought Foos Rep was kind of like part of a musical or something. So I guess we'll have to learn more. So uh, before we find out what the answers to these questions really are and what the military environmental mission is, could you each please tell us about yourself and your role with the Corps? Uh, we'll start with you, Ms. Beasley. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Laura Beasley. I'm Chief of the Environmental Division here at Headquarters USACE. And in my position as the senior executive service member uh, over this business line. Um, I am the senior environmental professional for the Army Corps of Engineers, and I oversee the execution of over $2 billion worth of environmental work every year that the Corps of Engineers does. Hello, I'm Chris Evans. I'm the chief of the DOD Environmental Programs Branch here within the USACE Army Corps of Engineers Environmental Division. And in my position, I oversee the execution of several environmental programs on behalf of the Department of Defense and the Army. I'm uh, John Bussey. I'm chief of the Environmental Support Branch. In my branch, I have nine national program managers who oversee several programs on behalf of our federal partners, both at the Department of Defense and non-Department of Defense. Well, welcome to the show. We appreciate you all being here today. So, Ms. Beasley, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has a vast environmental mission. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so thanks for asking, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to fill in some of the gaps between what our brothers and sisters on the civil work side do under the umbrella of environmental versus what our teammates on the military programs and interagency support side of the house do under the umbrella of environmental mission. So, uh, you know, we have a saying that the uh, environment is everywhere here over in environmental division. And really the reason why we say that is everything we do in the Army Corps of Engineers affects the environment. And so we need to be thinking about that. And so to answer your comment earlier, Angie, uh, we are so very proud of the environmental operating principles and we are the primary champion of those EOPs. And so when it comes to our environmental mission, like we said, it touches every, lives of nearly every American uh, on our civil work side, our military program side, and our R&D side. So I mentioned the $2 billion of the work that I help oversee the execution of as uh, the chief of the environmental division. But I'm also, I wear a second hat, a fun hat, it's my favorite hat, sorry, execution side, uh, as the head of the chief of our environmental community of practice. And over 4,000 people that work for the Army Corps of Engineers. And at last count, I think we're at 38,500 employees. So well over 
of our workforce, I count as part of our environmental tribe. They're environmental professionals. That's everything from our natural resource specialists, environmental engineers, chemists, biologists, and, you know, like geologists, I'm a geologist, I count all of them as part of my tribe. And they help do everything for all three parts of the USAID mission, civil works, military programs, and research and development. And so I like to be, I'm the champion of that community of practice, and they help bring uh, all of that work that we do, that synergize that work across our enterprise. I share those COP responsibilities, those community practice responsibilities, with actually four other senior executive service members in the Corps. Eric Bush with Policy and Planning, Pete Perez with Engineering and Construction, Tom Smith with Ops and Regulatory, and Dr. Edmund Russo in our Urtic Environmental Laboratory. So we all work really well together to see all of the environmental work that we do and support those 4,000 plus environmental professionals across the enterprise. Okay, so let's talk about what that $2 billion really is for our Department of Defense and non-DOD, non other federal partners. The guys are going to get into more of the specifics if you want to hear about that. But let me give you the, the sexy statistics of what we do right now. So $2 billion-ish every year. So from a workload perspective, more than 75% of our work is environmental cleanup of hazardous, toxic, and radioactive waste. The rest of that, 25%, is what we call environmental quality, from National Environmental Protection Act studies to cultural resources, historical preservation, things like that. Weirdly, from a stakeholder perspective, the majority of our work, about 75%, is for the Department of Defense. The other 25% are for non-DOD stakeholders like the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Interior, and the Department of Agriculture. So 75% cleanup work, 25% environmental quality, 75% work for the Department of Defense, 25% work for other federal agencies. Great. It sounds like a, a really large program. And, you know, looking at the typical core budget, I was kind of curious, like core gets a civil works appropriation that I'm very familiar with. And it sounded like you said you get a $2 billion budget. It sounds like that comes from DOD. Curious, where does your budget come from? And then where is the, you talked a little bit about the majority of that workload, uh, cleaning up bombs and stuff, but can you give us some more details on what that entails? Yeah, so that $2 billion is, is pretty dynamic. Uh, in FY18, just for context, we did just under $1.5 billion. So fiscal year 2018, we did just under $1.5 billion worth of work. And last year, we did over $2 billion in fiscal year 2022. So our workload is, is getting bigger and bigger, and it's not just inflation. So uh, we have a couple of different kinds of programs that we do under that $2 billion. A lot of that work is for our active duty military partners in the Air Force and the Army and the Reserves. And then we also have work that we do for the Environmental Protection Agency, for example, under the Superfund program. So when we talk budget, why that's so dynamic is that we are the primary provider of really tough solutions to environmental challenges for the federal government. And that's why we've grown so much from 2018 to this year. I think we're going to be over $2.5 when the dust settles this fiscal year on 30 September. And so when things get really hard, really complicated, like in all things, they call the Army Corps of Engineers. But we do have two programs that I refer to as our turnkey programs. Uh, and those are programs that we execute the entire appropriation for. So Congress gives that work to the Army Corps of Engineers to execute. And those two programs, and I'm going to define the acronyms, but we love acronyms, especially in the environmental side of the house. It's just so fun for us because it makes us feel fancy. 
So those two programs are turnkey programs. I call them also flagship programs because we do everything, the planning, the programming, all of it, execution, is the formally utilized site remedial action program, also known as FOOSRAP, not just the dance, I guess. And then the other program is the formerly used defense sites program, also known as the FUDS program. And so these two programs together make that foundation, especially for our cleanup side of the house. Great. That's very helpful. And I understand, Chris, you oversee FUDS. So could you just tell us a little bit more about the, the goals and scope of that program or the formerly used defense sites program? FUDS is a good acronym, though. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about FUDS. So the FUDS program, what we're responsible for doing is actually cleaning up former uh, Department of Defense installations. And uh, we execute this work on behalf of the Army um, with a primary goal to reduce risks to human health and the environment from the contamination of these present on these sites. That can include the hazardous, toxic, and radioactive waste, and also include the military munitions. And we've been working this program since about 1986. In that time, we've evaluated over 10,000 former defense properties in the United States to determine their eligibility for the FUDS program. And of those 10,000 properties, 7,000 are now part of the program. In addition, uh, at those properties, we've also identified environmental concerns that will require use space or have required use space to conduct investigations and cleanup on over 5,400 of those sites. And these sites are all very unique. Uh, they can range from just a few acres to thousands of acres. The total uh, inventory of FUDS across the country totals millions of acres. We're in every U.S. state and territory. What those properties are currently being used today can vary a lot. They can be part of federal or state-managed parks or wildlife refuges, agricultural lands, tribal lands. They could be commercial or industrial properties and even private residences. So uh, quite a bit of variety of, of the type of sites that we're working on today. The good news there is that the FUDS program is about 70% completing cleanup actions at, at all of our sites, but that still means we have about 1,600 FUDS left to go. Most of the work that we're focusing on today is to clean up military munitions and to address the, the longer-term challenges we face with contaminated groundwater. Thanks. That's really amazing, especially like, you know, for me on the civil work side, I didn't realize the, the breadth and scope of this mission. It's, it's tremendous. It's probably something that really the general public probably isn't that aware of, um, but super important. John, now could we talk a little bit about my favorite acronym in the core, FUSRAP, uh, the Formerly Utilized Sites Remedial Action Program? Absolutely, sir. Under FUSRAP, the Corps of Engineers is authorized by Congress to clean up contamination that resulted from the nation's early atomic energy program. FUSRAP was initiated in 1974 to identify, investigate, and clean up or control sites throughout the United States that were contaminated result of the Manhattan Engineer District or the early atomic energy commission activities. Those two agencies or two predecessors were of uh, the Department of Energy. And we collaborate and work with the Department of Energy. So when we finish a uh, uh, cleanup at one of our uh, fuse wrap sites, we transfer it over to the Department of Energy's Office of Legacy Management for Long-Term Stewardship. And in the program right now, we currently have 21 active fuse wrap sites located across eight states. The sites currently do not pose an immediate threat to human health and the environment, but we actively monitor and control most all these sites. 
In addition to the ongoing activities at the 21 active fuser app sites, we have 10 sites that were closed down and transferred back to DOE legacy management for long-term stewardship since Congress transferred the administration and execution of the fuser app cleanup to DOE from DOE to USA in 1997. Uh, with the annual funding appropriation provided by Congress under the Energy and Water Appropriations Act, uh, we project work continues to press forward at all active sites to reduce or eliminate potential impacts to public health and the environment that resulted from the nation's early atomic energy program. Well, thank you both for really educating me about these programs. So now I feel like I know a little bit more about the military side of the environmental mission. So it does sound like there are some similarities or at least themes across these programs. So are there similarities with these programs? Yeah, so for any of our cleanup programs, and frankly, any work that we do in the environment, but let's focus on floods and food wrap for a second. Uh, you know, public health and safety are always our top priorities. So you've just, I think, if you've never heard of these programs before, Chris and John probably just blew your mind on the vast legacy of these sites across the country, of the development of atomic weapons, of getting us ready for World War II and other wars that we fought. We have a responsibility to put that back to being right. That's what we, all of these programs, whether we're doing it for the Air Force or the Army, FUDS, who's wrap, any of our cleanup programs, we're focusing on public health and safety and doing that in a timely and cost-effective manner. But within that, we actually execute all of these cleanup programs, like FUDS and FOOS wrap, under the same process that Congress has given us. So Congress has given us a cleanup process for people in the, in the United States that have contaminated sites. It's called the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act. So we're going to make that an acronym because that was a lot. We're going to call that CERCLA. That you can back it up and listen to what I just said. It's spelled CERCLA. Senior leader moment here. If you want something funded forever, make it an acronym that's pronounceable. But who's wrapped CERCLA? There's a theme. My team works really hard on coming up when they have proposals for me. Just a side note on coming up with acronyms that are pronounceable and cool. It works. Okay. So what is CERCLA? CERCLA is a multi-step deliberate process that ensures public input in the decisions that we're making as we evaluate what activities may have occurred at a site that may have contributed to contamination in the environment and what our responsibilities are to mitigate and respond to that contamination. So that's the third thing that these all of these programs have in common. So safety and re reducing risk, safety and human health and the environment, the CERCLA process is deliberate. The first word in CERCLA, you don't have to remember the rest of it, is comprehensive. So we're going to look at everything at one time. So as part of that, though, is public involvement. And so while many of our listeners may have never heard of a FUDS or a FUSRAP site, some of them might be, might have, because they might live on one, they might work or play near one, I hope, I know that our teams work very, very hard, particularly where we are actively cleaning up a site, to engage our communities in our decision-making process, what has happened on these sites, what are we doing about it, answer their questions about what's going on, and get their input about those decisions that we're making. Because in many cases, they're going to be able to tell us, what is this site going to be used for in the future? How can we best enable those activities? How can we clean this up in a timely manner? Where do we want to start first? Those are all really important parts of every single cleanup process, especially our flagship program, Buds and Foods Wrap. 
Thanks. I think that's really helpful. One question I had in thinking about this for you, Ms. Beasley, is that obviously the military has gone beyond the, the borders of the United States and working with our allies. Is Are these programs just confined to the United States or is this a worldwide program? So Fuds and Foods Wrap are limited to the United States and territories. So the 56 states and territories plus the District of Columbia. So Foods Wrap is mostly just for clarity, if you didn't get the sense from talking to John, is much smaller program than Fuds in terms of number of sites, mostly on the East Coast. Fuds is everywhere. Sorry, Chris, you're everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but it is the nature of the beast. But that said, uh, we in the Environmental Division do uh, enable our military partners in cleaning up sites in foreign countries as well. Uh, countries where we may have bases or we have been places that work needs to get done. And we do have a not insignificant international mission. And we have had many environmental professionals deploy when the Corps goes into active war zones. Uh, in many cases, we are deployed side by side with special operations as we build forward operating bases to make sure that we're building those bases in places that are safe to house uh, our military and recording the condition of the site when we get there so that when we leave, we can return it to the way it was or better. So we do have a pretty robust cadre of folks that do some really interesting stuff outside of the United States. Great. Thank you. You know, so now I obviously have been a podcast and we've talked about, you know, nuclear things and bombs and all those things that, you know, I guess growing up were things that I thought were super cool, but I never thought of the consequence of what happens after they blow up and what happens if they don't blow up and are, are still there. So could you talk, um, Chris, we'll start with you and then John go right after. Could you just talk a little bit about like what this cleanup work entails and kind of the expertise needed to be successful with this mission? Thanks for asking about that. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the bombs. That's sort of uh, the, well, my first love and, uh, and sort of how I grew up in the Corps and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, we, we have incredible staff across the organization. Uh, we are the recognized leader in performing the cleanup, both investigation and cleanup of military munitions, which include unexploded ordnance, discarded military missions, discarded military munitions, and even chemical warfare material. To, in order to do that work, we have to bring together a lot of disciplines, both engineering and scientific, uh, to do this kind of work because, uh, uh, as you've heard when I talked about FUDs, there's a lot of different kinds of site conditions that we're working on. But I do want to talk uh, specifically about two of our uh, very important disciplines that, that really bring our expertise uh, to bear to do this work. Laura mentioned uh, how important safety was uh, at our sites where we do this environmental cleanup work. And for our, our munitions work, we have a cadre of about uh, just over 60 ordnance and explosive safety specialists who work Corps of Engineers employees. They're all former military servicemen and women who have specialized experience and training uh, to do this type of work. And their primary job at our sites is to, is to ensure that the actions we're taking and the decisions we're making uh, when uh, investigating removing military munitions from these sites is being done safely, not just for our workers and our contractors, but also for the, all the people that live, work, or play in these affected communities. And then the second group of experts I wanted to highlight are our geophysicists. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have when we're trying to clean up one of the uh, military munition sites is a lot of a lot of these items, uh, unexploded ordnance, chemical weapons, are buried underground. And so it's our geophysicists to ensure that we have the best available technology at the site to detect and identify uh, those items in the subsurface. And 
right now, um, there's been a lot of great technological advances, and we um, we bring to the field with our geophysicists these advanced sensors and advanced geophysical classification methods that can now reliably distinguish between a buried bomb or artillery shell from other non-hazardous metallic objects, such as horseshoes or rebar or barbed wire. So it's really these these experts that allow us to do this uh, very unique work, and the Corps of Engineers is, is definitely a leader in this field. So, John, can you tell us about the additional work being done on the radiological waste and the expertise uh, required to do this work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the programs that we're responsible for is the Army Deactivated Nuclear Power Plant Program. And within that program, there was three nuclear reactors that the Army was responsible for. Ms. Beasley is actually the permit holder for all of these reactors. In 2019, we successfully decommissioned the first reactor, which was a mobile reactor called MH-1A Sturgis. And we're currently in the process of decommissioning activities at two of the stationary uh, reactors known as SM-1 at Fort Belvoir in Virginia and SM-1A at Fort Greeley, Alaska. As part of that performing that work, it requires highly technical occupational skills and specialties, as I'm sure you probably guess or ascertain. So that's one of the capabilities that we kind of want to highlight here within the response to this question. So we have a significant cadre of experience, health physicists, about 20 across the Corps of Engineers, with nearly half of them that are board-certified health physicists are in the process of additional hiring actions. We also have a radiation safety program office, and this office oversees our labs and districts that have instrumentation with radioactive sources that require a license from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So as we are looking forward, I think it's an exciting time within the Corps of Engineers, both on the military side of the house and the civil works. And so I know that there are trends that we're seeing on both sides. So Ms. Beasley, can you talk about the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, so we are uh, in parallel with the rest of the Corps of Engineers. And our workload, as I mentioned earlier, is just steadily increasing. My prediction uh, is we're, we're probably going to exceed the $3 billion mark, if not next fiscal year, the year after. Again, 2018, we were doing half that. So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, as, as John said, we're hiring. We have pensions. We have great matching programs for our, what is called a thrift savings plan. It's like a 401k. So we're hiring out there, my STEM friends. Uh, and we got a, we got a lot of businesses good and we need your help. We need the smartest people out there to help the nation solve the, the, the hardest environmental, uh, and engineering problems. So one of the, the things that's leading to that growth is addressing emerging issues such as emerging chemicals of environmental concern. Sometimes we do things as humans <laughs> that as we discussed with atomic weapons development and bombing ranges, that we don't always think about the long-term consequences of what we're doing. And sometimes we generate things that we release into the environment that maybe we didn't think was such a big deal. And oops, yeah, that's a big deal. And so uh, we as the Corps are on the cutting edge, even with our R&D brethren over at Erdic, on helping our military and other federal partners addressing those emerging contaminants or as they're promulgated, as defined as being contaminants in the environment. In in many cases, in some cases, going back to sites that we thought were done and aren't quite done and helping people manage that. And then the other thing I want to just say, that's one of the biggest parts of the growth is those emerging chemicals uh, of concern. But we also 
fostering sustainability as a way of life in everything that we do. I mentioned that 25% of our workload is environmental quality. That's NEPA, Historic Preservation, Endangered Species Act. That's a growing part of the business that we're doing on, on under our business line. And we're going to talk about sustainability because I have that in my portfolio too. And I heard that maybe we're scheduling something in the future to talk more about sustainability. But I think that's a broad part of also what's increasing that workload as we as a country and as a species grapple with the effects of climate change and how we can not only mitigate what's, what's happening to us, but also perhaps get in front of it before it gets too bad. But as a, as a service provider for the Army and the Air Force and other agencies, you know, I, I, I have sustainability in my portfolio. We'll talk about it another time, but we have to be able to walk the walk as we do provide sustainability solutions for all of our DOD partners as well. Thanks. This this is a really impressive program. Um, it sounds exciting. And I think, you know, to echo your pitch, obviously, for anybody listening out there who's looking for a job or a new career choice, it seems like this could be a really exciting opportunity. Ms. Beasley, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to add? So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about how important all these environmental professionals are. I know I probably missed a few job series when I was listing all the people that make up those 4,000 plus environmental professionals. Shout out again to my geologists and my environmental scientists out there. Uh, I'm both. So I love all of you. Uh, and, and I, you know, over 10% of us in the Corps of Engineers do something as our primary job managing the environment from our park rangers to my environmental engineers out there and our ordnance and explosive safety specialists. And I get to take credit for everything that they do. And I am grateful to them every single day for executing all of this incredible record-breaking workload, not only within my portfolio, but we enable military construction. We enable our civil works missions and research and development. And so those professionals not only help with my business line, but they help with everything else that we do in the middle. So thank you for that, for all of my folks out there that are listening. And for those of you who don't work for the Corps of Engineers, including my mom, I want to express how hard all of these folks work every single day to embrace the environmental operating principles that are inculcated in our culture and fostering sustainability and environmental impacts as a way of life in what we do every single day and to support our environment, our nation, and our planet, which is our only home. I guess I want to personally thank everybody who's working on this mission. I could probably thank them for my children, too, because it's creating a better future for them as well. So thank you, Ms. Beasley, Chris, and John, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and let's all be sure to take care of the environment. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.